I like this brand a lot because I like what they are, who they are, what they do, rather than I just like their product. Hey everyone, this is Nazar Akio from Max Pro. Hi, I'm Linda. And I'm Paul. And we're Love and Pebbles. Hi, this is Lopa Vandermersch from Rasa. Oh, you're listening. To- and you're listening. And you are listening to, to the e Show. Show. Welcome to the Ecom Show, presented by Blue Tusker, the number one place to hear the inside scoop from other e-commerce experts, where they share their secrets on how they scaled their business and are now living the dream. Now, here is your host, Andrew Math. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Ecom Show. I'm your host, Andrew Maff, and today I am joined by the amazing Jake Carls, co-founder of Midday Squares and chief rainmaker, and this is going to be awesome. Jake, you ready to do this, man? Uh, you look so good on that screen right now, tan, Jack, the whole nine yards. I'm fired up, uh, excited to be here, and I'm kind of, I'm curious to know how deep we're going to get in this conversation. And you know, I think it's my it's my marry weekend. I'm getting married on Sunday, so oh. I'm kind of like, like nervous and antsy. It's kind of weird. I never, I'm never nervous or antsy. So, um, you you got me in real time on that. So it's exciting, oh, man. So normally we discuss like e-commerce stuff, but I'm eight years into my marriage. So if we want to dig, if we want to turn this into like a, here's my advice, actually, I'll give you quick and painless advice. You're always wrong. Just accept the fact that you're always wrong. Move on with your day. Find ways to cope elsewhere. It'll be fine. Then you'll figure I love it. Out. I love it. I love it. I'm always wrong. I'm, I'm wrong in everything, fuck, in my life. <laughs> so it's not, it's not something new. Yeah. All right, buddy. Let's uh, let's do a little bit of the stereotypical stuff in the beginning here. Why don't you give us a little bit of insight into yourself, your background, how you got started with midday squares, and we'll take it from there. Does that work for you? Yeah. So, so I was I was always the class clown. Um, growing up, I was always the one that wanted attention. And when I was a young kid, I was actually being really authentic to myself. I you know I was always out there being you know pranking people, having so much fun, being authentic, and I did horrible in school because of that. And academically, I was so poor that I almost didn't graduate from, from high school. I, my grades were so low and my parents were called in the principal's office. And I'll never forget. And, and they said, you're not going to graduate and everyone else would. And that moment I kind of said, holy shit, I gotta, I gotta go to, I gotta follow society's playbook here and kind of get with the picture and, and do well academically. Cause that's what you have to do in life. You could do well through school, get a job, have a family. And that's, that's all. And so I changed my whole personality. I focused in school. I tried to do well academically. I went to college. I tried to study to be an actuary. And something was always weird inside me. Something always felt like uncomfortable. And, and, and I always felt not happy, to be honest with you. And um, third year in university, I was studying to be an actuary. I was failing miserably because it was so hard. And I was trying to prove to everyone that I could be an actuary. I was watching Shark Tank. And I watched this guy on the screen pitch his dream. And he was talking about, you know, his business with such passion, energy, momentum, but yet he had two mortgages on his house. He had three kids. He had so much responsibility. And I'm sitting on my parents, you know, couch at the time crying and miserable that I can't get a job or that I'm failing in school, no responsibilities. And that was the moment I said, entrepreneurship is my game. And I need to join that. Whatever that guy has, I need, I need that energy because I'm obviously doing something wrong. And it's not for everybody, but in that moment, I decided that I'm going to launch a business and I launched a fitness business first, did very well financially with it. And I did that for three years and I lost passion for fitness after. And I kind of said, closed it out of nowhere. And I was like, I don't care how much money I'm making. 
Um, I don't enjoy it. It became a chore every day to wake up and do it. And when it's a chore, you don't have fun, right? And what's the point of doing things if you're not having fun? And then the last thing I did is I launched a second business and it was a party business. I was throwing parties across college campuses in Canada and I was trying to sell them clothing like t-shirts with logos um, to make money. And because I'm such a bad operator, and this is what I learned over my decade of entrepreneurship is I'm not good at management. I'm not good at operations. Um, you know, but the business failed. I went bankrupt. I lost $86,000 in that business or $82,000. I can't remember the exact number. And um, then my sister, my brother-in-law approached me and they're like, hey, you are one of the greatest storytellers and brand builders. That's what I was doing in the past with the fitness business and another business. I was very good at it. They're like, what if you came in and helped us build this chocolate bar company that we just have this amazing dark chocolate bar that's, you know, healthy, clean, functional. We need you to blow it up. And I looked at them and I said, this is an interesting challenge because you guys are good operators. If you guys do the operations, I don't have to focus on that. I could actually play to my strength, which is building a brand hype, energy, cheerleader, rainmaking, uh, like my title is. And um, that was it. I, I decided to join Midday Squares. We launched it August 2018. And the idea was build the next the next Hershey's, let's call it, in better for you space and do it while making a brand really relevant to consumers in the sense of, Yes, I like this brand a lot because I like what they are, who they are, what they do, rather than I just like their product. Yeah. So you already mentioned too, you're kind of in the better for you space because it's not your traditional chocolate bar. Like it's not like Hershey's. It, it, there's actually health benefits behind it, right? So what what is it behind there? Is it do you equate it to kind of a protein bar in a small way, shape, or form? Like what's the what's your differentiator? So we call it a functional chocolate bar. So imagine taking a dark, delicious chocolate bar and indulgence of like like a lint bar, let's call it, and have a baby with a, a cleaner protein bar. So we make the baby and then we get rid of all the junk that's in protein bars, the artificial flavors, the additives, the sugars, and we make it a chocolate bar that has protein and fiber. And it's your 2 p.m. snack every single day that gets you to your lunchtime, keeps you full, it gives you some energy, and it doesn't bloat you or make you feel like shit, which a lot of bars do because they use that artificial junk, right? And um, mm. so yeah, it's, it's your typical afternoon chocolate snack. And I think that that's where we've seen success is the simplicity of that. And why we called it midday squares is because it's your midday snack and it's square formatted. So it was just make it as easy as possible for the customer, what we call them fans, our fans to have a good experience, an easy experience, and give them what it's made for. Gotcha. So we're uh, just a little over five minutes into this interview, and I can already tell like you're not the average person that I interview when we have a show like this, right? Like this isn't... Usually it's the conversation is like, okay, here's what we're doing for advertising. Here's what our operations is like. You know, this is kind of how we manage stuff, blah, blah. But you truly have this genuine like cheerleader passion for it. The one thing though that is interesting, I know that I've, I've, I have spoken to a good amount of, of uh, you know, entrepreneurs, especially on the e-commerce side that are like just big fans of their brand. They think it's the best thing to ever happen, but it never really takes off. And yet here you are in the CPG space, in the chocolate space, let alone, which is a bitch in itself. Yeah. And you're clearing eight figures a year after a business that's only been around for, what do we have, five years now? You said 2018. How did you get it to scale to where it is in this space? Three things. And you know what? That's I'm going to leave that question at that. <laughs> Three things. Great. It's a great question. And you're right. A lot of people toot their horns and all that stuff. And that's fine. You know, they're, 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 you need, as an entrepreneur, you need to be a cheerleader to a certain extent because you need to really believe and close your bubble to be so confident that you have this vision that 
that that can be built, you know, so big. But a lot of time people don't know when to put the bat down, too, right? That's the problem. Um, but so for us, midday squares, there's three things that our 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 success can, you know, I could garner, you know, I could I could say that is responsible for somewhat of our success. Number one, product market fit. When we launched this product, we knew that the market wanted in. The reason why we knew is we had data that showed that dark chocolate was growing, surreal chocolate was growing very fast year over year within this massive saturated market of chocolate. And so that means you don't need education on it. And the second thing was, is vegan, you know, plant-based proteins were also on a tear. And my sister was making this as a hobby snack before. So just a baby of these two massive growth categories. So we knew once people tried it, it would naturally fit into their lifestyle. That's number one. Number two is we chose to do our own manufacturing, controlling the supply chain and the actual uh, manufacturing process allowed us to do the innovation we want to do, the way we want to do it and the pricing structure we want. So that has allowed us to play the game. In food and beverage, most companies typically do a co-manufacturer, a third party, because they don't want to yeah. deal with the manufacturing. The last thing, and I think is the most relevant thing to today, especially on e-commerce, is storytelling. When we started this company, our whole idea was we are a media company as well. And what that meant was we took out our cameras day one and started filming and documenting everything, showing our consumers the good, the bad, the ugly of how we build this business, literally showing you milestones, successes, failures, how we fire people, how we hire people, how we raise money, legal battles. You know, when a machine breaks down, here's what happens. So you saw it in real time, what was going on and what was happening to build this company to hopefully over a hundred million dollars. And what that did was it created this idea that you were on the journey with us. So when you went to the grocery store, you truly felt like you were buying the product from a family member or a friend or a neighbor. That's the feeling you had when you bought Midday Squares because there's 40,000 products in a store. Think about that. You have to separate yourself. If you don't have the budget or money to open up the space and get more real estate in the store, you need to win through creating a fandom before coming to the store. So our whole thesis was make friends, then do business. And what that meant was build the fandom by telling great stories that emotionally connect and relate Instead of throwing down people's throats, hey, we're a very good chocolate bar that's vegan, gluten-free, soy-free, non-GMO, 100% organic, all that jazz that no one really cares about until they're buying the actual product in the store to look at the label. But you could do that once they're there. So to get them to want your stuff, make them feel something very deeply. And that's what we did very well. And I like to say that you know today we, we built our company very differently in terms of our marketing. It's just a media company. So it's editors, videographers, TV producers, rather than traditional marketers. So what was your approach to getting that started, right? Because that is something that is consistently preached from some of the top entrepreneurs of the world that, you know, you have like, the, especially like the Gary V's of the world that are like, oh, just, you know, content, 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 that kind of stuff obviously makes a lot of sense, but the bandwidth and then the capital it takes to have that kind of staff in place to be able to put that content out, that's the really challenging part. So how do you actually, how did you justify, hey, we need all these people to help us create video when as a marketer, you know, you can't really tie a direct ROI to that. So yeah, there's no direct ROI. The only ROI that we're seeing is that our sales are going up at retail at a level that, you know, we're not doing anything else to push it. So it has to be the organic content that we're garnering. We're garnering 40 million views organically a year. That's through our internal team. That's just the content they're creating, right? So I think if we close 10% of that, it's 4 million customers almost. It's a lot. So the, the the reason why we knew this was going to be successful is two things. When I when I came in as the third founder, my partners were great at ops. They had the product ready. They just didn't know how to launch it. And I showed them the TV ratings from Shark Tank. And I showed them the TV ratings from Keeping Up with the Kardashians. And I showed them Elon Musk's social media following growing. And what I said was, what if we were to make a baby of these three things? And what I meant by the baby was 
Keeping up with the Kardashians is popular because people like family drama. So if you can make the family drama, then we, we, we're a family business. We could do that potentially. We don't have the posh life that they have, but we have the drama. Second thing was Shark Tank is all about entrepreneurs. So what if we just showed people more about the entrepreneur, the behind the scenes of the, the what goes on actually, not just the here's how we raise money, the surface level stuff. We take it 10 steps you know, further. And the third thing was is people love or hate Elon Musk because he's unapologetically himself. So you... You being unapologetically yourself, you have a big chance of building a true fan base that respects and loves that. So I said to my partners, we're all three different characters. Why don't we just start to be unapologetically ourselves every day? And each one of us will start to build bases that eventually come back to the Midday Scores family. So we knew when we did this that there was actually not just a guess and check model. It was like, okay, something's going to work here. It's a reality show on entrepreneurship. We're going to show everything. We're going to take our cameras out and it's unfiltered. So when we start posting this content, it was just us filming. And then we realized it was so hard to film like arguments and stuff like that because it shakes you off your game that we ended up hiring a videographer, a showrunner as our first hire ever. And it was like a month in to then take that content and edit it and get it out there. And we start to see the ROI happen when people start buying more product and then retailers start coming to us and then investors started coming to us. So then we invest in an entire team that's like basically like a newsroom. And I think that that's the way to look at it is if you're going to be in CPG or consumer products, you better start acting like a TV producer. Think like a TV producer because they understand how to emotionally connect with people to get people to talk about what they're talking about and to get people emotionally involved with your brand. So that's how we think about a thing and that's how we process it all. How do you budget for a thing like that? Like, because by that logic, right? Your logic being the more eyes we can get, the more fans we can build, that's what's bringing in sales. If that is the logic and you're not tying a direct ROI to it, what's stopping you from renting a massive warehouse and just doing ridiculous content all the time and being like the Rob Deerdicks of, of, you know, chocolate, like what, what would, how do you budget for creating that kind of content without it getting out of hand? Yeah. So I think that the content we create, the strategy we take, what's most important is that the content means something to us. So that when we watch it, my partners and I and our media team, that it actually makes an emotional connection. That uh, If it does not add value, whether through an emotion or through education and entertainment, then the content is not worth going up. And the reason being is if I don't want to watch my own company's content, what's the point of it? You know, if it doesn't interest me, then why is it going to interest somebody else? So the content we take, that's the content sorry, that goes up. The content we take is everything. Everything gets put on. We have 35 terabytes of content that that is out there. Sorry, that's on our Google Drive. Jeez. 35 terabytes. So we have every moment that has happened in this business. Now, organizing, it's a whole different story. But when we want to create a docu-series, potentially one day when we've reached a certain status, maybe a billion-dollar unicorn status, and we want to show you exactly how that happened, we can actually show you in real time without reenactment what happened. And that's that's something that we haven't seen yet in the world because no one actually has the day-to-day content because they don't take it. They usually reenact, here's the story of what happened, or they, they go back in memory time and have someone interviewed and talking about it, but they don't have the a real B-roll or they've select B-roll of certain moments. They don't have every moment. So for us, that's what we're trying to accomplish is create that base so we have everything so that we one day could tell a docu-series story because that will just even be an, an even bigger marketing gig for us as well. Very interesting. So you mentioned, obviously, you know, potentially one day the goal being you become a unicorn, you hit that billion dollar, uh, you know, revenue side. What are the steps to get there? Do you think chocolate's going to be the only thing to get you there and you just kind of expand on the line? Like what's next for midday? 
So I definitely think chocolate will take us there. So chocolate's $140 billion annually globally every single year, snacking. It's one of the largest snacking sets. So I think for us, how we get there is we have four products right now. We'll go up to six. That will get us to about $100, 150000000 million in revenue. And then what we'll do is we'll create potentially... Um, you know, we'll go to more countries. So we're just now we're just in Canada and the United States, but we'll eventually maybe go to Mexico, the UK, Europe, you know, Asia. There's so much market for chocolate that we could build this to hopefully half a million dollars, half a billion dollars in revenue. And once you're at that rate, you're a unicorn company because the CPG world, if you have a brand revenue and distribution and good margin, your valuations are are really high. And um that's our model, but we might acquire businesses or we might sell the company. You know, right now we don't want to sell the company at all, but you never know if, if the offer comes and it makes sense and we're tired, then yeah, we'll sell it. But otherwise, maybe we take this company public at IPO. We raise more capital to keep growing, to acquire businesses, to dominate that fresh snacking set because we're a refrigerated item, so we're fresh. That's a big thing for us. If we could be that, that dominant player there, then we will have won, you know, in terms of what we believe winning is. So let's let's pivot back a second here. So you, you obviously we talked a lot about the content side and all that stuff that that's created. What else are you doing to help grow the side? Or is there a focus on the influencer side? Is it uh, social media marketing, retention marketing, any kind of paid advertising? What what else are you doing outside of just content creation? So we're doing a lot of physical stuff. We treat this like a political campaign, and that's another strategy. Similar, like think like a TV producer, but treat it like a political political campaign, as if you're running for president's presidency. And here's why. You need to gain voters. You need to build voters because voters use their heart to vote. Same thing goes with buying a product. So what we do is we actually physically go give conferences. We go as if we're an artist or a president and rally people. And it gives this physical touch to it where we build fans on the ground level too. So I'll go do, I'll go do a, you know, typically a speaking gig once a week um, with a crowd uh, physically, and I'll give a rock star performance. I'll dance, I'll put music, I'll make it an experience because it's not so much what I say, it's how I make them feel. And that, how I make them feel makes them like the brand. And another thing we're doing other than the physical stuff, so my partners and I eventually want to go on tour, all three of us doing it consistently every week, all together, just out there, out there, out there at every college, every office, every conference, you know, um, you know, schools, whatever it is. The second thing that we're doing that's helping is influencer work as well. So we're working with some amazing influencers that are authentically that authentically love midday squares and they're following or they're you know, the people that you know are fans of theirs would like a product like ours. So we're finding those people and then doing that as well. Gotcha. How large is the team right now? Because we manufacture, we're about sixty-two. Makes sense. Okay. So you're manufacturing, you're also, I assume, shipping out of your own warehouse. And you mentioned you're refrigerated, right? So how are you dealing with that? So we're shipping express shipping. So once it leaves, it's like one to two day max in the in the shipment, in the transition, in the sorry, transport. Mm-hmm. And it's insulated with uh, reusable insulation and a reusable ice pack. Gotcha. D2C so is a bit harder for us, D2C. So that's why we're 30% D2C business and 70% actual retail. That was my next question. Thank you for that. Okay. Gotcha. So the D to C side, is there, is it just a, is it a bulk uh, option that you're purchasing from? Is it a subscription option? Like what have you seen that has worked the best, at least so far for you guys? Honestly, we half ass it. I'm not going to lie to you. We haven't had the time to put, because we have to build our manufacturing and, and sales and distribution out on the, on this, on the retail level. Our D2C mm-hmm. has taken a, 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 just a pause um, on any efforts and energy, which eventually we'll go back into. My business partner, Nick, uh, came from that world prior. So he once he's available and he's not doing ops on, on the manufacturing side, he's going to go into that aspect and start you know 
building that, I think we could really even build up, you know, we do about, you know, $500,000, $600,000 on e-com every month. I think we could even bring that up to maybe a million bucks easily, um, just with more effort, time, energy, strategy. Yeah. None of that's there. There's nothing. It's literally the most basic. I think we had the same website for the last four and a half years. Didn't really change anything. It's interesting because if you're doing so much content from a digital perspective, I would expect the D2C side to be a bit more of an, a stronger approach. But I also know that not only CPG complicated from a D2C side regardless, but so is anything that's refrigerated. So I guess that does kind of make a lot of sense. Are you selling anywhere else besides just the website? And obviously besides retail, like any marketplaces, Amazon, some Walmart. E-com sites like, like Lufa Farms. Like there's some e-com sites that we have that are partners of ours. They're re- they're, we call them retailers though. Um, but other than that, no. And like, I, I'm telling you, like as, as soon as we put the time and effort into it, I think we'll blow it up. Um, but for us, all of our digital marketing, our performance marketing, we're actually focused on pushing them at retail. So they go in and they support our retailers and tell their consumers and their fans to go shop at the retailer rather than online. Because online, we have to ship two boxes at a time. So you got to buy two packs of 12. In the retail, you could buy one bar at a time. So there's a lot yeah. more potential for you to get you to go to your like local Target or your local Walmart or Whole Foods and get the product there. You know, So that's the game that we're playing. Gotcha. Jake, really appreciate your time here. I know you're super slammed, so I don't want to take up any more of it, but I'd love to give you an opportunity to let everyone know where they can find out more about you and obviously more about Midday. Andrew, appreciate you giving us a voice and thank you for this, this beautiful interview. Um, find Midday Squares on our good www.middaysquares.com. You can check our store locator page uh, to find a store next to you or you can buy on our website. Um, we're always in the refrigerator in the store and to find us, follow us on social, Midday Squares on TikTok and Instagram is where really a lot of the action is. And then add me on LinkedIn at Jake Carls, J-A-K-E-K-A-R-L-S. Always happy to chat and connect. Love it. Jake, thank you so much. Obviously, everyone tuned in. Thank you for tuning in. Please make sure you do the usual rate, review, subscribe, all that fun stuff, or head over to theecomshow.com to check out all of our previous episodes. And make sure to tune in August 30th for our live episode. Uh, And as usual, thank you all for joining us, and we will see you all next time. Have a good one. Thank you for tuning in to The Ecom Show. Head over to ecomshow.com to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform or on the Blue Tusker YouTube channel. The Ecom Show is brought to you by Blue Tusker, a full-service digital marketing company specifically for e-commerce sellers looking to accelerate their growth. Go to bluetusker.com now for more information. Make sure to tune in next week for another amazing episode of The Ecom Show.